Welcome to the Mystery Behind Art History. We're your hosts, Lily and Alexandra, and this podcast is designed to give you an art history fix. Whether you're a history buff or an avid artist or somewhere in between, this podcast is for you. So today we're talking about Augusta Savage, but first let's do the question of the day. Let's spread some positivity today. What is something that has made you smile recently? This is going to sound small and insignificant, but I ordered a new pair of shoes that I'm really excited about. They're blue with colored flowers and I've wanted them for a long time. They just finally went on sale. What about you? So anyone who knows me knows that I am a huge Hamilton fan and I was beyond excited when they announced the musical was going to be available on Disney+. Plus. I've, I've been in love with the soundtrack for a couple of years, but sadly, I've never gotten to see the actual musical. So, of course, I watched it as soon as it came out and loved every second of it. I definitely recommend it to everyone. I watched it the day it was released, too. It was so amazing, and I highly recommend it as well. Let's get started. Today, we are talking about Augusta Christine Fells, who was most popularly known as Augusta Savage. She was an influential activist, an arts educator, and a leading artist of the Harlem Renaissance, which was an intellectual, social, and artistic explosion centered in Harlem, Manhattan, New York City, spanning the 1920s. She was born in Green Cove Springs, Florida on February 29, 1892, and I already know exactly what you're thinking. That's sleepier day. You're right. That is exactly what I was thinking. It is really cool that she was born on leap year day. I wonder when she celebrated it during the other years. Anyways, Augusta was the seventh out of 14 children born to Edward Fells and Cornelia Murphy. Wow, that is a lot of children. And she was the middle child, so I wonder what that was like. During her childhood, she began to create art using the abundance of natural clay found in her hometown. Sometimes she would even skip school to sculpt animals or other figures, which her father strongly disapproved of, of course. I feel like we've seen a common theme with artists and disappointed parents. I was thinking almost along the exact same lines. Savage once said that her father, quote, almost whipped all the art out of me and my father licked me four or five times a week. For those of you that might not know, a licking is a beating. He was a poor Methodist minister and believed that creating sculptures was sinful due to the graven images portion of the Bible. A few years down the road, she created a statue of the Virgin Mary for her father. This sculpture thoroughly impressed him, and he allowed her to continue practicing her art. It also convinced her school board to let her teach modeling during her senior year, and she was paid $1 per day. In 1907, when she was only 15, She married a man named John T. Moore. The couple had a daughter the following year named Irene Connie Moore, who was the only child of Augusta Savage. He died a few years later, leaving her a young widow. In 1915, she married James Savage, who was a carpenter. That this same year, her family moved to West Palm Beach, Florida. She soon divorced him, but kept his last name and moved to West Palm Beach with her family. There wasn't an abundance of clay here, so she got it from the local potter. Savage entered some of her clay sculptures into a local county fair, and in addition to receiving a $25 prize, she won the support of George Graham Curry, who was the fair's superintendent. 
He told her to continue with her artwork and block out the racism that tried to drag her down. He also sent a letter of introduction to Salon Borglum, who, who taught sculpture to art students. You might recognize his son's carvings of Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Roosevelt on Mount Rushmore. However, Borglum refused to accept her because she was unable to pay, but he wrote a letter of recommendation to the registrar of her future college. From 1921 to 1923, Savage attended the Cooper Union for the Advancement of Science and Art, more commonly known as Cooper Union or the Cooper Union. During this time, she left her daughter in Florida with her parents. She was accepted before 142 suitable men on a waiting list and was not charged for tuition. She arrived in New York with $4.60 and found a job as an apartment caretaker. $4.60? That's next to nothing. It definitely doesn't seem like a lot of money. It translates to about $60 in today's currency, but that still isn't very much money. When she lost her job as an apartment caretaker, the Cooper Union Advisory Council awarded her an additional scholarship to cover the costs of living expenses. Savage was such a bright student that she finished her two years of schooling in only six weeks and completed her four-year degree in three years. In 1923, she applied to a summer art program in France that she was more than qualified for. The conditions for the program were clearly outlined, saying 100 female students would be considered and a few things about expenses. However, she was rejected due to her colored race. This experience greatly influenced the rest of her work in life. She sent letters to the local media about the program's actions and even made headlines in newspapers, but unfortunately, this still did not change the program's decision. Therefore, she was unable to study at the Fontainebleau School of the Fine Arts. Committee member Herman McNeil regretted the ruling but couldn't change her rejection, so he invited her to work in his Long Island studio and study privately with him. She married for the third and final time in 1923 to Robert Lincoln Poston. He was an associate of a man named Marcus Garvey, who will be mentioned again shortly. Sadly, Poston passed away five months into his marriage due to pneumonia while on a ship returning home from Liberia. He had traveled to Liberia as part of a delegation for the Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League. And so at age 32, Augusta Savage was once again a widow. After this, she worked in steam laundries to earn some extra money because her father had been paralyzed by a stroke and a hurricane destroyed their home. Her luck didn't improve in 1925 when she was awarded a tuition scholarship to the Royal Academy of Fine Arts in Rome, but couldn't go because she couldn't afford to pay for travel and living expenses. Also around this time, a writer named Joe Gould became so captivated with Savage that his actions turned into harassment. He wrote her endless letters, consistently called her, and even tried to convince her to marry him. Savage is widely acclaimed for her portrait busts. In the 1920s, she was commissioned to sculpt portrait busts of W.E.B. Du Bois, who was both a sociologist and author. This bust was created for the Harlem Library. She also created one for Marcus Garvey, who was a Black naturalist, and William Pickens Sr., who was a notable, notable figure in the NAACP. One of her most famous pieces, Gay Men, is a portrait bust of her nephew, and it was heavily praised. That's right. 
At the time of its creation, it was actually voted most popular out of 200 works by African-American artists. It's actually on permanent display at the Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington, D.C. In 1928, at the Harmon Foundation, she won the Otto Kahn Prize with her submission, Head of a Negro. However, she publicly criticized the director for having low standards for Black art and lack of understanding for art in general. The following year, Savage received a Julius Rosenwald Fellowship to study abroad in Paris. She later wrote that the masters are not in sympathy as they all have their own definite ideas and usually wish their pupils to follow their particular method and therefore began working more on her own in 1930. Her work was exhibited at the Gros Palais and she received another Rosenwald Fellowship to study abroad another year. In addition, the Carnegie Foundation grant gave her the opportunity to visit other countries in Europe. When she returned to the United States, the country was in the middle of the Great Depression. Due to the Depression, profits from her artworks were minimal, which is not a good thing for an artist, or anyone for that matter. It is certainly not a positive thing. In 1932, she established the Savage Studio of Arts and Crafts in Harlem and began teaching art. She taught many students that would later become notable artists such as Jacob Lawrence, Norman Lewis, Gwendolyn Knight, and Kenneth B. Clark. Kenneth B. Clark actually contributed research to the 1954 Supreme Court case, Brown versus Board of Education. Her school later evolved into the Har Harlem Artists Guild and Savage became the first director of the Harlem Community Arts Center. This art center played a critical role in developing several young African-American artists. She advocated for Black artists' inclusion in the Works Progress Administration Federal Art Project, and she was also the first African-American artist to join the National Association of Women Painters and Sculptors, which is known today as the National Association of Women Artists. Later on, she opened an art gallery with, the, with an abundance of works by African-Americans, but it did not survive for very long. In 1939, she was commissioned to create a sculpture for the New York World's Fair. She created the Heart, which was another one of her most famous pieces. This artwork was inspired by the words of James Wilson Johnson's poem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. His poem was turned into the Black National Anthem and we are going to play a small section of this piece arranged by Kirk Franklin. The harp stands at 16 feet tall and reinterprets a harp by featuring 12 singing African-American youth positioned at different heights to represent strings. 
We will post a picture of this on our Instagram page so you can see this because this work is truly astonishing. The harp sounding board is symbolized by an arm and hand of God. In front of the harp, a man is kneeling and offering music with his hands. Sadly, at the end of the fair, the harp was destroyed. This was because it was not created in durable materials and Savage could not afford to cast it in bronze. Unfortunately, this was not the only work of hers to be destroyed due to these circumstances. On another sad note, while she was working on this sculpture, she lost her directorial position at the Harlem Community Center. Another popular work of hers is The Pugilist, which was created in 1942. I know I didn't know what a pugilist was until I looked it up, so you may or may not know either, but a pugilist is a professional boxer. His head is tilted upward and his arms are folded across his chest. It appears that he is able to take on any challenge that may come his way. Augusta Savage retired from her career as an artist in the 1940s. She left the bustling city in 1945 and decided to move to a farm in Sagardes, New York to deal with the depression of her financial difficulties. On her farm, she sold pigeons, chickens, and eggs. She was employed as a laboratory assistant in the cancer research facility at KB Products Corporation, which was actually the world's top producer of mushrooms during that time. In order to make her commute easier, she acquired a car and learned how to drive it. The director of the laboratory encouraged her to continue art, so he graciously provided her with art supplies. She continued teaching art at summer camps, wrote a little bit, and created art for leisure and her own enjoyment. When she became ill in her later years, she moved back to New York City to be with her daughter and the rest of her family. She passed away from cancer on March 27, 1962 at age 70. One of her most memorable quote, quotes is, I have created nothing really beautiful, really lasting, but if I can inspire one of these youngsters to develop the talent I know they possess, then my monument will be in their work. And with that, we have come to the end of our episode about Augusta Savage. She is such an empowering female and it was a lot of fun to learn all about her life and artworks. What did you think of this episode, Alexandra? I agree that it was a blast to learn about her. It's sad that many of her artworks were destroyed because she couldn't afford more durable materials. We hope you will join us next week for another episode. Check us out on Instagram at the mystery behind art history and let us know who you want to hear about in the future. See you soon. Bye, everyone.